Welcome to Fuel Podcast. I'm your host, Leela Ansart, leadership advisor and certified executive coach. On this podcast, you'll hear the stories of successful individuals and how they were able to overcome adversity by channeling strength from an internal driving force. My mission, shine the light on alternate strategies that can move you from reactive to strategic thinking, from overwhelmed to motivated, and from burnout to balance, so you can move forward and over-deliver on your current goals. Let's dive in. Welcome to Fuel Podcast. On today's episode, we hear from Dr. Amy Grubb, the Digital Transformation Advisor to the CIO at the FBI. You'll hear from Amy how much of what would be deemed successes in her career were either serendipity or part of a derailment that she had to overcome. No stranger to upheaval and change, Amy was responsible for the implementation of numerous change initiatives within the FBI for over 20 years. She's a fellow in SIOP, the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology, and an advisor to the C-suite, having won numerous awards for her contributions to the people side of work. Dr. Amy Grubb is also an internationally acclaimed speaker who presents on topics such as organizational change, working with others, leadership, storytelling, organizational culture, and engagement. In addition to all of these accomplishments, Amy is the proud and dedicated mother of five children. In her own words, she is fascinated by people and how they think. I'm thrilled to introduce her to all of you today on our first episode of Fuel Podcast. Well, welcome, Amy, to the podcast, to Fuel. We are so excited to have you joining today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So um, what I wanted to hear from you this morning, Amy, is tell us a little bit about the path that you've been on professionally, ending up in your current position within the FBI, and some of the fuel sources, as, as I like to call them, that helped you push through the challenging times that you experienced along this path. Yeah, it's so interesting because when I think back on my career and kind of like how I ended up where I am, well, right now I'm, I'm uh, the advisor to our CIO on digital transformation in the FBI and specifically the interaction of, of people and technology. That, I mean, if you asked, you know, 21-year-old me, what do you want to do when you grow up? Being the advisor to the CIO on digital transformation was like, that was not on my list of things to do. And when I look back, it's all a lot of serendipity where I'm a very organized and driven person. And I'm kind of like, this is where I want to go. And this is how I'm going to get there. And most of my choices and most of the things that have happened to me that um, were sort of the, the cool things were serendipity and part of a derailment at some points. I ended up at the Bureau accidentally. I was moving back to the East Coast from the West Coast where my husband was stationed in the Marine Corps. And a friend of a friend said, you should come work with us at the bureau. I've seen you at conferences and I think you're kind of fun and it'd be good for a little while. I had seen the job posting a number of times and didn't even occur to me to apply. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll try that for a little bit. And, and so I I mostly worked in, you know, assessing people, assessing undercovers and making sure that they're playing for the right team and designing the assessments for special agents. And how do you, know they have what it takes to do the job. And and that's where I I spent a lot of my time. And what I realized is, is we can get all the talent in the world and some of the best talent in the world. And we do. 
but that's not going to make them work together better. And that's not going to make them understand each other better. And that's not going to make them be better leaders in the future. So I really was interested in why do people work together? Why do they, um, who works together better or not sort of in the team concept? I've always been really interested in sports. And so I've always been fascinated by that. Took a turn and really started focusing the team that I was working with on the more organizational development side of things. Let We've done a really good job of finding awesome gears. How do we help people with the oil and the gears and make them run really well? In my career, I got introduced to a lot of executives at, at a very young age. And as people have grown up in the organization, I've been their partner. And so that has fueled them and fueled me to want to help these people be successful and see how I'm an asset. The thing that drives me a lot and the core of what I do, two main things. One is, it is so awesome when you are working with somebody, especially somebody who has a lot of responsibility or has a really important role, not in terms of hierarchy in the organization, but what they're doing. And you can help them get over that one little hurdle and their eyes light up and they're like, oh, that's how I do it. We used to joke that we called it like crack, like that aha moment where people are like, oh, I get that now. And this is how I can go forward because most people I work with are awesome at what they do. Their tradecraft is, they are the best at what they do. I can't help them in that space, but over and over, no matter what organization you, you work in, that people part is usually what gets in the way. It's not that people don't know what the right thing to do is. It's not that people don't know technically what all the amazing things are that they should do. It's that that person has a different agenda or that person has a different motivation or that person is super hard to work with. And so I have this thing and it's awesome, but nobody wants to do it or I can't get over the goal line. How do I do it? And when you give them tools and you translate things that are easy for you, easy for me, but complex for them into a super simple way. It's just so awesome to watch their eyes light up. That's something that really fuels me. And then the other thing is that I think that everybody who comes to work has a story. They're there for a reason, right? They have a journey that took them to where they are now. And even if that person is horrible to work with, even if that person is um, grumpy or mean or whatever, they have a dignity that should be respected. And I think with those two, where those two things marry is where I get my most energy when it comes to the work that I do. And I, you know, I've had a lot of failures and I've been derailed a number of times. And each time it was sort of like, okay, I need to redefine who I am as a person because my job doesn't define me. And like, what is my dignity? What is my journey? Where can I find that place to be getting that aha moment for myself and then drive towards that? So that's kind of like my thought process on, on where I've been and, and where I'm going. You always come up with these amazing metaphors. You said the people are the gears and how can we make the oil to get those gears to work well together? Additionally, you said everyone has a story and a dignity that should be respected. That's really something that I think can give us all pause 
at times and is a great tool to use. You know, I'm thinking about myself and someone that irritates me because we all have them to, to stop and be objective for a moment and to say, hold on, this individual has a story. And I love the way you put it and a dignity that should be respected. You mentioned you've gotten derailed several times and you've had to go through a self-reflection on what your dignity and story was. Would you be willing to share one of those stories with us and explain to us how you got to that aha moment and came out with that answer? Yeah. Um, So in working in that space, one of the things that... um, that kind of came to fruition is that there were a lot of very powerful people in my organization who came to me for counsel. Um, and being a psychologist, not, I mean, I had confidentiality and, and all of those sorts of things, but my boss um, didn't, didn't like that. Um, and in a lot of ways was threatened by that. And that really surprised me because my boss was somebody that I had been essentially a client of mine for a long time. And I had felt that we had built a very trusting relationship and that I had proven that like, you know, I, I keep things very separate and I, you know, I have my own little role off to the side and things like that. And, um, and I had a team that I ran, um, who, who did similar work and things like that. And my boss, um, and, uh, and one of my peers, one of my peers also did not like that, um, people were coming to me as opposed to coming to him. Um, And so uh, they came to me and said, you are no longer going to run this team and you are no longer going to do this work. So you have to go figure out what else you're going to do, but it's not this. And I kind of saw it coming for a while. Um, And I'm sure there are other reasons why um, that happened, but that was the kind of the writing on the wall and what some people in the know had told me behind the scenes. Um, and it was everything to me. Like that was what I did. That's who I was. I was the consigliere to people. And, and I, um, and so I took a step back and I thought to myself, you know, what is it that I really love about that? And I really do love advising people. And I really do love, um, kind of being that motor, um, a guy behind the guy sort of thing. Um, I really enjoy that. And I really enjoy um, uh, the speaking part too. I'm very good at speaking. Um, and, and I don't need to sound arrogant at that. Like I'm not very good at a lot, but what I am good at, I'm really good at, and I'm really good at public speaking, which is a great way to get to the masses. And yeah. so I, I took that and I went to a couple entities in the organization. I was like, Hey, you know, we could look really good if you had somebody going out there and speaking about how we take care of our people and, and things like that. And some of the programs that we put into play. And then I went over to, um, we had a big change initiative going on. And so I went over to those folks and I was like, Hey, you know, a couple of my assignments have, have been, reallocated and we've worked together in the past, if you would like, maybe we can make an arrangement and I can help you with this major change initiative that's going on where we are really disrupting people's lives and we can work through some of those things. And I kind of just went out there and sort of was like an internal consultant for people and, um, and just decided that like being the head of blah, 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 
maybe that wasn't really what I loved anyway, because what I really liked was that people interaction and all of these sorts of things. And so I just was like, I, let me, let me look at the work and focus on the work and maybe rebrand the work and see where that goes. And what that led to was a, a, an executive who had been a client of mine for a long time. He was a little irreverent um, and he was leading that major change initiative. And he's like, you know what? Just come work for me. Just come over. I'm going to, you know, we have to reallocate resources and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, I'm going to bring you over and you're going to work for me. And you're going to go do whatever it is that you used to do. Cause that's awesome. As long as you also do this for me, that's great. And so it was kind of one of those things where I saw where people's relationships and the oil piece of it can really make a difference. And I appreciated him recognizing the dignity in me, right? Because I was sort of damaged goods when somebody says, no, you're not going to be in charge of something anymore. That really hurts. And that, yeah. that becomes a story in the organization. And it was very hurtful. Um, but for that person to be like, hey, you've always been fine with me. And I, I think it's good for the organization. So I'll take the risk and I'll take the responsibility. And so come on over. And I, um, it was good for me to get that validation. Not everybody does. I have a new opportunity. I have a way to um, do what I'm good at and add value to the organization. And who cares about the title? And it actually has led to like when people are asking me about my title, I'm like, I don't know, call me Contessa. Like, I don't really care what my title is. And, and, you know, I don't even care who I report to. We'll figure that out. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm here to do a job and to make you look good and help your work be successful. And so let's just do that. And so it was really humbling to be told, I personally, as your boss, don't find that valuable. And I am going to remove you and cut off all ties. That was extremely scary. But I, I still did have some control over some things. And look, that wasn't like an overnight thing. That took weeks of sulking and being sorry for myself and all that. But to have that realization of, I actually do have control in this situation. My career is not defined by other people. My career needs to be defined by me. And I need to start making choices for me and not worry about any of this other stuff. My good friend, Sasha, actually, she was the one who kind of slapped me out of it because she's like, what would Amy Grubb tell you to do? And she's like, because the same thing had happened to her a couple months before and she had sought my counsel on it. And she's like, let me tell you what Amy Grubb told me to do. And it was basically those things. And I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, I need to do that. I really like to give the real, real, kind of like you did. I find so many times when you're reading a book about overcoming a trauma or some horrific circumstance, you know, due to brevity, they shorten up the story in the part where the person is really down, in the dumps, like in a funk. So I really appreciate that you said it didn't happen right away. So let me just dive into that for one more quick minute, if you would, Amy. When you say didn't happen right away, I mean, what are we talking? Are we talking three to four weeks? Are we talking 12 weeks? I know for me, when I'm in my funk, first of all, there's just that initial stage where you're just like, everything sucks. And then you sort of move forward and you start to say, okay, I want to feel better, but I really have no idea how to do that. 
And that takes time. And, you know, all the emotions that you're feeling in the middle of that end up skewing how you come across and you're not coming across as your best self, which ends up making that change and that progression even a little bit more challenging because you aren't your best self in that moment. So if you would... Give us a little bit of the real, real on what this actually looked like for you. I would say that I was almost completely unproductive for a solid three weeks. Even though I kind of saw it coming, just not like this. I did have still some work to do. um, And so, uh, but not to the level that I had before. So I'd say it was a solid three weeks of like, woe is me and just almost trying to like climb back up the cliff and and try to get it undone. And, um, and then I would say there was like another three or four weeks of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And how is this going to impact my career? And like, so that was sort of like a, not trying to, to, to bargain anymore, but like, okay, well I have to do something, but I wasn't at the stage of like, Oh, I can do this. It was more like, how do I survive? How do I not get bored out of my mind, lose my skills, but also like not damage my reputation further? Um, given this is a, a legend now that a couple people have decided to create. Um, and so what I did was everything that I did those next couple of weeks, I made sure was amazing. Everything was crisp, perfect exactly right engaging that all of my conversations had pre-work done for hours beforehand as opposed to you know like the usual 45 minute prep session that I can pull off it's not appropriate but I can I made sure everything was pristine and really trying to sharpen my skills so that I wouldn't lose them and then in those moments I would just ask people now what kind of follow-up can we do on this? Or how can I help you differently than just this? Like there's other things. And again, I'm not a really good marketer. I want to be, I hope to be someday. Um, But just like making sure that everything was awesome and that people wanted more and knew that there was time and space for more, more to occupy myself and to prove to myself. I don't think it was an intentional decision. I think it was something that I was looking for. And so I just naturally sought it out. Um, and I would also say that because I had my colleague who was going through something similar and was just a little bit ahead of the scale on me, she was the one who also, after asking like, what would Amy Grubb do said, I do not want my story to be one of indignity. Um, which is where my idea of like using that word came into play. I don't want to be the person who screamed and cried. I don't want to be that person. Look, I don't want to be pushed around. But I don't want my reaction to be the story. I want my work to be the story. I had to make a decision. I did explore outside opportunities to the organization and and actually had some offers. (laughs) Um, But at the time, we weren't in a virtual world. And at the time, I had children just about to enter high school and that was not a good mix. And so I had to make a decision for my family as opposed to my career. And I think that that really helped because like, look, I 
I just have to do this for them. Like I have to make this decision. It is not a decision that five years ago or five years from now that I would make, but I need them to be content because if they're content, then I can do and figure out my stuff. And so that's how it went. But I would say it was a full six to eight months till I really got my group back. It is hard to get knocked down. And I got knocked down from a really high pedestal. You said something really powerful. We do, when we like talk about these sorts of things, we do this like retrospective categorization, it's like nostalgia, right? Like we're like, oh, remember in the eighties when all the, it wasn't great back then. The same thing with this, like it was hard. It was awful. It was painful. I would never wish it on anybody else. I am super in love with where I am today. But like when people are like, and if that didn't happen, no, it it didn't have to happen that way. And I didn't have to have my story be what it was for me to still end up in a good place later on. It was really, really miserable and hard. And it was just a matter of me just reminding myself, the one thing I have control over is my story. I need to take every step I can. If other people decide to tell a different story, that's fine. But I need to do what I can to have at least these be the tenets of what my story was. I want to write this on a post-it note or maybe engrave it somewhere because it's such a fresh way of saying that we can choose to focus on what we can control. And after such a challenging and frustrating experience that you went through, that's what you came to, was that there was a story here and you were going to be the one to write it. And I love what you said. You rebranded the work that you were doing. And after rebranding, you said, okay, now let's see where this goes. Those are very specific and actionable steps that we can take away from this conversation. When we go through a challenge, we can go through our moaning groan stage and feel what we feel. I'm definitely 100% on board with that. But then when we're ready to take action, to be able to stop and say, there is a story here. And what is the story that I want to tell? I think so many times, you know, depending on the stage that we are in in life, we are more concerned about the story that others have of us. And we're afraid of where that may develop or where that may go or even how we may be hindered by that in the future. I really appreciate that you said that in that moment, you said, I don't want my story here to be my reaction. I want the story to be the quality of my work. I am truly appreciative of you sharing that and think it was a key point that anyone could use during a time of of challenge or of of upheaval. Amy, what would you say was your self-talk when you started to feel a little bit of momentum, you know, if there was anything more than what you shared already, what what was the self-talk around that when you started to feel like you could move forward and, and come out? I mean, I think part of it was because it was such a, a, a big fall and it was so painful, no matter what happened, it wasn't going to get worse. And so it almost kind of freed me up to be a little bit more risky adventurous with what I did. And I noticed um, also like I had been very pure about 
what I did and how I did it and things like that. And I realized there's a whole bunch of people out there who are completely faking it till they make it. And even they don't make it, they just keep faking it. And so like to be like a little bit more bold in the words that I chose and, and how I labeled myself. And I mean, I had spent an entire career telling people words matter. And so use different words and rebrand it differently. It can't get much worse than it already is. In this instance, I still technically had a job. Like I was still getting paid, which other people don't have that luxury with some of the files that they have. And so take advantage of it. It can't get worse. And try this and try that. What's the worst that can happen? You're not the head of whatever anymore. Oh, you already are. Keep moving forward and keep that story being your story. People are still going to tell it differently. And they've already told the worst story that they could. It can't get worse. It's not necessarily terribly uplifting, but at the same time, it was incredibly empowering to be like, what do I have to lose? I really don't. And, and, you know, people say that, like, when you really don't have anything to lose, you do approach things differently. You do. And it also made me realize that maybe I didn't have that much to lose before. So as I move forward, what are the things that I'm going to definitively not step into? And what are the things that I'm going to kind of shore up before I do? I didn't do a whole lot of of other self-talk. I mean, again, I had my colleague um, and I also was just like, I I just need to go and do, keep my brain occupied. So focus on action, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. I know with a lot of the clients that I work with, there is um, oftentimes an issue of clarity or a, a desire for clarity. And one of the things that is always helpful is taking action. You know, when there's a question of, should I do this or this, or which way should I go? It's much more, um, it's much more productive to take action and move forward. And then that is when the clarity clicks in. The clarity is either, hey, this is great, or, oh my goodness, this is not at all what I thought it would be, and I need to shift again. But there's really not much benefit in just simply stewing in our uncertainty. Well, there's very few things in, in life and in your career that uh, can't be undone or that you can't take in a different direction. I mean, sometimes people who are very driven um, or who are very focused um, get so caught on that piece. And look, you can't be like running all over with your journey and like every shiny object running towards, but you know, there's try it. It may not work. You may find out that you like a part of that. Like you thought that this is what you liked, but it's actually like this part of it. And then how do you expand that? And it's just a matter of each thing is a step forward and then open the aperture. And then it's another step forward and open that aperture. I think sometimes people see success as achievement or accomplishment. And I think that those are things that happen along the way. I did not think that a couple of years ago, but I do think that now. The yeah. goal is not the accomplishment part. The goal is, what does that open up for me? That is a means to something else. It's not the end. It is a means to another thing. That always keeps you moving forward, for me, anyway. That's great. Thank you for sharing, Amy. All right, so let's just totally switch gears here. What is something that not many people know about you? Um, well, you didn't know that I had five kids, so, but that is actually something 
that a lot of people know about me. I wanted to be a football coach when I was growing up, although a lot of people do know because I'm like so into sports that that was a thing about me. I wanted to be uh, a football coach. Now I'd rather be a GM um, just because I would love like bringing all the personnel in and trying to make it work. It would be fun. And I, I love sports and I love the idea of competition and, and all of that kind of stuff. I'm a pretty good cook, which a lot of people don't. My kids know that, but I mean, not a lot of people know that. And I love ghost stories. Really? I love like those stupid, like ghost hunting shows. They're so fun. I mean, I don't know, like actually if there's ever such thing as ghosts, but like, I love the history of it. I love the fun aspect of it. I live in, in the Northeast. And so we have a lot of old buildings around here and stuff that are supposed, I don't know what I actually think about that stuff, but it's so fun. I don't know why I find it. I don't like Halloween and I don't like that sort of stuff, but I love ghost stories. So the stories and the hunting, but not the gore of Halloween. And I, again, like I said, like, I don't think I, I don't actually believe in any of that stuff. It's just fun. If there would be someone with whom you would love to have a conversation, someone alive currently, who would that person be? Um, I'd really be interested in talking to Bill Gates and not really about his stuff, like, you know, his, his technology stuff or, or his vaccines or, or any of those sorts of things. But like, he has such a unique perspective on life that I don't always share that I'd really be interested in hearing how his brain works. And I'm only saying that because he's somebody that like recently I've seen and I'm like, oh, I wonder how he got there in his thought process. I'm always interested in how people get to what they're thinking. I don't always agree, but it's really interesting that somebody who has the history that he has, how he ended up where he is and what he's thinking about for the future. I think people who are thinking about the future are really interesting in terms of why is that what's on your horizon as compared to other people? I think that would be really interesting. I would love to sit down with Jacinda, the prime minister down in New Zealand, because she just seems to have such a fun attitude about things and be like, yo, this is how it is. Like she had a baby while she was prime minister. That is cool. Your secret. Like what are those sorts of things? So this is a weird one, but I have a neighbor. She's two. And everything is so joyful for her. And I would love to just sit down and be like, girl, get me back to that stage in life and like help me understand like why that we're skipping today. Like, why are we skipping today? That's so cool. And like, just get a little centered on that. It would be fun to just sit down with her for an hour. Actually, I could probably just do that later. Yeah, you probably could. I don't think you need a, a big connection for that. I love though how you just went from Bill Gates to the prime minister to your two-year-old neighbor. It's just so much fun to hear how your brain works. I love how you could see that there would be value in each of those conversations. People have cool perspectives on things. It's just so interesting to hear people who see the world differently than me. How'd you come to that? And then is that something I want to adopt or not? So like, maybe I don't like your content, but I like your process. And that's kind of cool for me to think about, oh, what if I saw things that way instead? 
in general, I think people are so fascinating. Like just so fascinating. Well, that wraps it up, Amy. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I absolutely loved having you on the podcast and it was an awesome and fascinating conversation. Here's to you and to a wonderful day ahead. This podcast is brought to you by Leadership Impact Strategies. We help managers to become effective leaders so they can navigate uncertainty and create highly successful outcomes for their organizations. Like what you heard on today's episode? Come on over to our website where you can grab your free checklist for holding an engaging team meeting, whether it's virtual or not. Find it and other free resources at www.leadershipimpactstrategies.com forward slash resources. Finally, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you'll be notified when a new episode of Fuel Podcast drops. Until then, I'm Leela Ansart, and here's to you finding the fuel you need today. Amen.